Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Buzzwords and Music. I'm here this evening with Andrew Shearer. He formed Gonzarific, which is an artist collective based out of Athens, Georgia. They've been making feminist B-movies since 2001. And by operating completely outside of the entertainment industry, Gonzarific's do-it-yourself ethic has been essential to its health and longevity. Welcome, Andrew. Buzz, it's an honor, man. Always. It's always a pleasure to see you. It's, an, it's always an honor and a pleasure to, to be in your presence and to get to converse with you, sir. Well, yeah, we only get to do that like once a year, really. It's true. When did I first meet you? Maybe December of 08? It was exactly December of 08. Let me set the scene for your listeners here, if you don't mind. Sure. I was involved with music for 10 straight years of my life, punk rock. And I was a lead singer. I was also a guitar player. I was also a bass player, also a drummer. I'm pretty much everything. I was in several bands in the Atlanta area. And um, by 2008, I had retired. I had stopped. I decided, you know, by the time I was 30, I was just going to kind of hang it up because I never liked old guy bands. No offense, Buzz. No, no that's why I'm not in a band. It's <laughs> not, you know, rock bands is a little different. And yeah. so um, by that time, I was, yeah, I was already deep into making movies with Gonzarific and everything. And uh, I still had a friend from high school that always wanted me to play guitar and sing in her Christmas parties. Right. And um, you were giving her son piano lessons at the time. And um, oh, wow, you were just right. introduced to me as Buzz. Had I known oh, who please. you were, and I've told you this before, I had I known who you were, I would have been terrified to play, and I am never terrified to play. <laughs> I would have, I, I, not that you're a judgmental person, and not that you're an intimidating guy, but just I am a big fan of the style of music that you play and the people that you've played with, and knowing that you're involved with them in the capacity that you were would have kind of freaked me out a bit. And uh, I am glad that I found that out after I'd played well, rather than before. From my side of the sofa, <laughs> when you got up and you played, two things that struck me, maybe one thing, I, I'm not sure if you can count them as two, but everything you did was very honest and had integrity to it. And those are two things I've always looked for in music or an artist, anybody I've ever produced. I don't want somebody that's trying to, you know, front or be somebody, you know, that they're not. Totally unlike me, I came over and introduced myself. No pun intended, you struck a chord. <laughs> Buzz, I'm, I'm honored to know that. You have told me that before, and it just, something I can't really get my head around, because I was used to doing that. I'd played the party for years, and I knew that what she wanted was simply me. Right. And at this stage of my life, that's all I wanted to be. I didn't need to put on an act because I knew that's not what she was looking for. Right. And, so, and I got that vibe just from exactly what you did. You did it in your boxers, didn't you? I did. That was a comfort zone thing for me. The least amount of clothes I could get away with was that way on stage, but definitely amongst mixed company. I never got a chance to see you with your, your band, but you used to play across the street from where I lived at, what was it, Dottie's? Like, yeah, it yeah. was Dottie's. It was a double-wide trailer. Huh. And uh, yeah, if, if only you'd caught me there, because I feel as though Dottie's were some of my best shows, because uh, I always liked it when you're on eye level with the crowd. I always liked it when 
Uh, they were as close to you as humanly possible. I, I love that as well. I still remember one gig that we did with when I was with Curtis. We played in Paris, and we played at this place called Morning Morning Sun. And this was not a huge club. I mean, you literally could sit at the table and play the upper part of my piano for me. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that nervousness that goes with that. But there's also the feeling that you're really connecting. You have to be in the moment. My God, Buzz, every time you tell a story like that, I'm just like, it blows my mind, man. Because, you know, here I am thinking, oh, you know, we were just lucky to have such great communication as musicians because we were in such close quarters. That always takes a barrier away. But I didn't consider the fact that you were also communicating more intimately and more immediately with the crowd as well. Yeah. When you're on a bigger stage and you're playing in front of a lot of people, for me, it was always... I, I don't even know anybody's there. I'm playing for the band, mm. you know. And with Curtis, because he had that light falsetto voice, you had to play so quietly that we could actually have a conversation on stage. I think I told you this story, and then we'll move on. We were playing the town and country in London. Mick Hucknell, I think his name is, from Simply Red, was, was there. And he came backstage, and he met Curtis. He was such a huge fan. And and Curtis didn't know who Simply Red was. Sure. <laughs> so in the middle of the show, he walks over to the piano, and we're doing, like, Give Me Your Love. And he's like, uh, who, was that? who was that cat? And I was like, Mick Hucknell, Simply Red. And he turns around and gets on the mic and goes, uh, Mick Huckleberry from Symphony Red is in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Dude, that's great. And you could, I knew everybody knew I just fed them that information. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's just, that was just Curtis. Priceless. Yeah. Anyway, so when you left the music business, you concentrated much more on Gonzerific. Yeah, that was, I took Gonzerific from being a, a movie review website, a zine that I had uh, started in the late 90s. And so in 2001, while still in the band that I was in at the time, decided to make a movie with the singer as the star, Monica Fuller, and her roommate at the time, Carol Lott. And I found that I enjoyed it more just bringing in somebody else. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to make movies but run it like a band? Hmm. And, and it can be instead, because I didn't know anything about making movies. I'd never been on a movie set. I didn't know how it worked. I just thought you get a camera, you get the people in, you write story, and then action, cut. Georgia wasn't like it is now in terms of movie industry and visibility. Did this start in Atlanta? Well, I was living in Athens, but I began oh. making the movies in Atlanta because all my bandmates were there. Because I didn't move to Athens until about 97, didn't make a friend until about 05. What? But yeah, I worked at night, long story. Yeah. but. uh. I wasn't able to get out and see things and do things because nothing cool happens before 11.30. You're going to pitch a bitch at 11.30. That's it. <laughs> what you waiting on, 11.30? 11.30, man. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. And so I um, I just found that, that I was like, man, I like this so much more because it's different every time. You're not stuck in the same room with the same people every time. And, you know, people can cycle in and out if they're not feeling it. If you have beef with somebody, you can just be like, all right, well, cool. See you later, man. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. But it don't make or break you. You have, 
I wouldn't say control because that's not right. Because we are like a group and it is a group creative thing. Like Did a, it start out that way as well? Yeah, it always okay. was. I knew that I didn't want to be in the spotlight. I'd spent my life up until that point being, even when I was a guitarist or a bass player, Buzz, you can imagine, I was all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I was the ham. <laughs> and so I wanted somebody else to take a turn being the ham, you know, step to the mic as it were, pick up an instrument as it were. But I was no longer limited to people that could play an instrument, bodies that could talk, whoever wanted to get down, get down. It was just in movie form. Yeah. Every year you do a show in Athens. In Athens. Yes, we do. Starting in 2008, an art house theater in downtown Athens, the hub of all culture <laughs> in Athens. Yeah. Whenever Athens wants people to think it's cool, it always talks about its downtown scene. It gave birth to the B-52s and R.E.M. Right. And all this other stuff that it always wears on its sleeve. 40 Watt Club, which was my very first oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before Cine was built, the Art House Theater was built. Uh, Gonzerific's very first show was at the 40 Watt Club at midnight. Really? Psycho Vixens played, yeah, yeah. So Cine, every single year in the fall, usually around October, November, we play for two nights all the movies that we made that year because mm -hmm. that's how much work we make. Nobody makes money off this stuff. I don't pay people. I give them Chinese food or pizza. <laughs> but the reward really is getting together and enjoying the work that we did together and getting to see in a proper movie theater with a proper sound system and a proper screen with proper seats. And a proper audience. That's right. We really can then see the fact that we've created something. So these things are also released on DVDs. So in terms of music, for everybody that's listening to this that is a musician, our yearly movie shows, that's the show. That is the concert. That right. is the performance. That is the event. Our albums are the DVD releases. This is functions more like a mixtape. It's a collection of tracks. I think of the movies as tracks. And I think of the show as the concert. And I think of the DVDs as the record. You have so many people that contribute to your films. They're not all written and produced and directed by you. Not at all. That's what makes the communal thing so nice. Yes. I've worked in a studio that had that same concept where there was like eight rooms and each individual person had their own room, but there was a lot of back and forth. Hey, what do you think? Could you do something on this for me? I imagine it was kind of the, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great vibe. Oh, man, and that sounds so cool, by the way, Buzz. Yeah. That sounds so great. That's the way it is. I wanted everyone to feel, as a contributor, I wanted everyone to feel listened to, validated, and important. And the first year that you came was 2009. So we'd only really been doing the shows for a couple of years at that point. You came to one of the most special ones we'd had because we were playing the movie The Erotic Couch, which was our biggest, ended up being our biggest seller and most well-known movie for years. Really? Yep. And we also had to go along with that was the photography exhibit, which was yes. a gallery of nudes that I'd shot of the people that are involved with the films. And this was never something that was uh, available online. This was never something that was available in book form. I never digitally transmitted any of those images. Wow. The only way you could see them was at this photography exhibit. Yeah. You walk through it. Do you remember? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the early days of trying to figure it out. I mean, our very first screening at Cine was a movie that was made on camcorder, all handheld. Looked cool on TV, but on the big screen made me want to vomit. I said, I can't believe it. I'm the, the premiere of my first feature film. 
in a theater and I can't even look at the screen because I'm feeling sick. Well, we're always our own worst critics sometimes. Truth. I think first time I heard any of my music in scene A, I was like, oh, I need to do a better job <laughs> at mixing. You had to really twist my arm to get me to actually accept help from you. Yes. You threw me singing iCat. Oh, that's right. Oh, that was Sam's college project. Right. So that was the first thing I did. It was a silent film. I had a ball doing it. And I, I look back on that and probably I overthought it and overdid it. But at the time, I thought it was really cool. On my side of the couch, <laughs> as you said earlier, you're a professional musician of a very high caliber, somebody I respect very much. You were not just a guy I grew up with or just somebody I met through bands. You were someone that already has a well-established name and career. And I was like, if I can't pay this man a lot of money or at least some money, this is not something that I feel is... I didn't, I didn't want to... I'm struggling because I, I didn't want to use the word beneath you because you clearly didn't think it was. But I was intimidated to, to do it to enter that with you because of the amount of respect I have for you. And I was like, he doesn't need to be doing this. He needs to be scoring Hollywood stuff. I mean, that was my opinion of it. No, because I had never really scored anything before. Well, I chose that one. I just was like, man, you are so generous. I at least wanted to wait until we had a project where it could be driven 100% by music and we wouldn't be dropping your track down so that other people can talk and I wouldn't have fart sounds or vampires <laughs> or ghost whooshes or whatever over your music. I wanted your music, wow, right in front and center. And so Seeing Eye Cat was a great way to do that because it was going to be all music. Right. It was a silent film. Here's what did it for me. You go, Andrew, I'd like to get into doing soundtracks. And I'm like, okay, cool. We'll be your guinea pig. <laughs> I was happy to do it. I'm like, holy shit, what an opportunity. I just wanted to be a part because I just dug the whole vibe of what I had been seeing. I just know you were a hit with everyone. Well, and everyone really liked you and had the proper amount of respect for you as an artist and as a musician, someone with that career and the track record that you've got. But also, everyone just loves your personality. Well, what's not to love? Ah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, and I, I know I've told you this before. One of the things I love about the way you make a film, you cut to temp music and it creates a rhythm in your editing. So when I see, when I see one of your films, I go through it and I can, oh, that's going to be at this tempo. This feels like it's in this key. And, you know, all those elements just come together and makes it a lot easier. Usually if I, when I'm watching a movie, you know, the rule is, is if you hear the music, you've done a bad job. Correct. Yeah. If you notice the score. Yeah. Right. Now in your films, you have my score, you put my stuff front and center. I know you like, you know, your funk seventies yes. you know, and so like through the bad girl Dracula series. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly where I went. I, I go back and I, when I watch, uh, you, you did the, uh, you put out a CD with all of them. Yeah, Bad Girl Dracula was, uh, it, was a, it was a bigger, I, I, I wanted to create our very first icon, our very first recurring character. And Bad Girl Dracula, uh, for those of you who have not seen it, 
is a woman vampire. He's just the bomb. She's just the sexiest and the coolest and the most irresistible. I mean, she just has no trouble getting all the blood. <laughs> so Played uh, by the fantastic Deflowered. The inimitable Deflowered. By the time we got to Bad Girl Dracula, we were firing on all cylinders, man. <laughs> she knew what needed to be done in this character. I, of course, knew that this was going to be the project that only Buzz Amato is going to know how to do the music for. I can't explain this to any other kind of composer. My favorite decade for film and music is the 70s. My favorite year, if anyone asks, for cinema is <laughs> 74. But you knew right away what it would need. You always have a temp score, and some of the stuff that you find for temp score, I'm, I'm sitting there Shazam and go, God, I like that. Where did he get that? Right. And, and how am I going to compete with that? I don't try to copy what you had. I just try and pick up the vibe. When, when do you put the music in? In your editing process? or I cut to a song. Oh. Music goes down first. Get the vibe that I want. And then we put the images on top. Wow. I mean, I'm cutting to music always because as a musician, I'm all about rhythm. I'm all about backbone. I'm all about being in the pocket. Yeah. And so I want my movie to be in the pocket. <laughs> well, <laughs> so it, it shows. I'm glad. I think in dynamics, in terms of rhythms. And so I start with the song. I like, this is the opening. This is the pace I want. This is the groove I want. This is the mm -hmm. vibe I want. So I go through and find a song. I usually already know what it's supposed to sound like. So it's easy to come up with. Right. You get it in there. And then I start cutting my movie to that song. Because right now, I got the most expensive soundtrack in the world. It ain't going to stay there. <laughs> but for right now, my movie's going to have that. And I believe the first Bad Girl Dracula screening may have had the temp score. We put that one in the very first episode of it later. Because Bad Girl Dracula is a, is a three-chapter kind of thing. Yeah. And so they all together make a, a single film. Buzz and I talked about it from the beginning. It was understood that he was going to be the person that was going to lay down the groove for this movie. And I can remember one of my most insanely unbelievable moments was when the cast heard Bad Girl Dracula with your music in it and through a theater speakers the very first time. It was like, this is just not happening. It was, to me, unbelievable. We crafted a true original together. I'm so proud of it. I still, I know it happened, but it's like one of those things where you're just like, you kind of you go out of your body when you <laughs> realize what happened. And I, I'm not saying this to, to wax your car or anything. It's the absolute truth about me. Um, I, have, I don't drive, so. Right? I have trouble asking for help. <laughs> I just really try to do everything myself. And as a musician, I really can. Like, I can score all these movies myself. Yeah, and, you've, and you have, and you've done some, some great things. A lot of the films I see, you know, I can instantly tell because I always come up to you afterwards and go, did you do that? Because you, you maintain that punk vibe of yours. Very flattering. You, and it's kind of just go for it. Where I'm, I'm more of a, I need to think about this. I need to get this right. And I'm thinking I need to get this right for you. I need to get it right for D, the rest of the people. And I need to get it right for me. So consequently, I watch your films probably as much as you do. <laughs> when, I, when, I'm, when I'm scoring. I mean, oh, to the God, point where I know all the dialogue. Um, <laughs> but when I come to the show and see it on the screen, it's an entirely different thing for me. It leaves all our hands in it. 
you know, they always say you make a movie like three times or four times or whatever it is. You make it once when you write it, another when you shoot, another when you cut, and another when you screen. The movie really takes on uh, several different lives. And I, I do agree with that because yeah. that communal experience, you know, I don't know how you feel when you're sitting there watching it with a crowd. If you're sitting there sort of picking it apart and being a perfectionist about it and noticing little things. I've already picked it apart. Right. Uh, so when I come to the theater, now I'm able to, it's like listening to the record for the first time. I hear things that, you know, on my end that, well, I could have done this a little better, usually more in my mixing, because mixing for theater speakers is a little different. Now, when I mix movies that I've done the music for, this is always through speakers. I've never through headphones, because I know yeah, the audience... Here the audience will not be wearing headphones when they watch this movie. This needs to be for the theater speakers. And so I, yes, I'm exactly the same way I crank it up. You know, for me, man, making the movies, being on set, that's where it's at. That's the jam. That is really where we are working it all out together. That's like, all right, well, you start here, then you come in here. That's where all of that choreography happens. That's what I'm in it for mostly. When I was in music, I was in it for being on stage. I hated absolutely every other aspect of it. I just lived for performance. With movies, I lived for being on set with everybody. In the last few years, you've included like outtakes of things. Yeah. And so, you know, I know you guys are having a lot of fun. A lot of fun. To an outsider, there would have to be an element of, why are you going to do that again? Why do they have to come in from this side and not over there, you know? And I know, man, and, and you know, it would seem tedious, but quite honestly, after every single movie, I walk off going like, I didn't do shit. Like, <laughs> I joked the whole time. How did a movie get made? Because I'm really just goofing off, making jokes. I, I have people look at me going like, are we making the movie? I mean, what is this? Your comedy <laughs> routine? I'm like, actually, yes. Yeah. You're all saying the dumb shit. That I <laughs> That's true. It's absolutely the <laughs> truth. And so, put it this way, Buzz, if I'm not having fun, I shouldn't be doing it. Right. I agree with that a thousand percent. It is the only reason to be doing it. If art isn't happening, then what are we here for? Yes. That's kind of the way I feel about it. I am exactly where I need to be, doing exactly what I need to be doing, with the exact people that I need to be doing it with. What do you see in the future? For Gonzerific, exploring the, the body as relates to media. We do feminist movies, so we are taking the framework of cult film, which was largely marketed toward men, and photographed for the male gaze and the male eye to get the male dollars. We are an evolution of that where these movies aren't made for the men in the male eye. They are made for everyone and everything. We make them for ourselves. And so we are all getting older. We are getting gray hair. Our bodies are changing. All of this stuff. We're to the point where creatively, there is a thing in culture that says, these people do not belong making art, let alone art like this. So I plan to continue for as long as I can get away with this, and as long as people like D will give, do me the honor of letting me photograph them and put them in film, I want to show off everybody for as long as humanly possible. As long as we can stand 
and then we will sit and make these things. And when we cannot sit and make these things, we will lay and make these things. <laughs> and so in punk rock, if you see the old farts up there saying, you know, this or that and screaming and yelling, like, well, what are they screaming and yelling about? Right. But they mean it. Yeah. They do mean it. And so I want to be known as someone that means it. And I cannot think of any better way of showing that we meant it when we were doing it when we were younger than by continuing to mean it and do it when we're old. You also have newer people coming in and out. We do. So it's, it's not like everybody in you know five years' time is going to be rolling into it with you're going to be doing wheelchair movies or anything. It's true, and my friends, for the most part, do tend to be younger than I am. Yeah. But I think it's because I have not reached that stage of life where I want to stay inside and not know anyone. I do think life is about leaving your house. What script would I write? What story would I think of? Yeah, where would your inspiration come from? My inspiration is people, Buzz. Yeah. Plain and simple. I'm not inspired by sitting around smelling my own farts. <laughs> I'm inspired by experience and by knowing others and by hearing their stories and seeing their talent. I'm inspired by talented people. We never make up our minds about the world the way it is or think that it should bend to the way we feel it should be. A lot of the, the tropes of being old. But we are both young people still, I feel, Buzz, and, and the fact that we have this zeal for creativity and still are open to the way that our world and art can change us, I think says that we're on the right track. One last question, and you've kind of, you've kind of answered this along the way, but for someone who is trying to be creative and, and be an artist, be it in film or music or whatever medium they, they choose, what, what kind of advice do you have for them? I would say to be confident in your own originality. Be confident knowing that there is not another human being on the planet that has ever created that has the exact same brain and experience in life as you do. And let that be your driving force. Let that be the thing that lets you know that your perspective should be recorded and preserved. It's worth listening to. It is worth putting out there. Don't ever think you've got nothing to contribute or you're just another number. You're not. Absolutely not. By virtue of your existence, you're an original. And in times when you're struggling with what you should do, don't second guess it. Don't hesitate. Throw it out there, man. You really have nothing to lose but time wasted wondering if you should do it. Um, every dumb thing that I've ever done, everything that I was just like, whoa, what was I thinking? I was stone cold sober when I did that shit. <laughs> I have nothing to blame it on. Right. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, because uh, you're biggest production lena is asleep now or is oh, she yeah. downstairs playing drums no 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 not at this hour no 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 <laughs> yeah the future shearer is uh sound asleep getting a getting energy to carry on for the future all right well on that note buzz it's been a pleasure thank you thanks buzz i am bad girl dracula Yeah. <laughs>
I'm the fucking master. Dracula.